I have my, my, this is my, this is my top Bible. I rarely bring it to church because it's with me in my study. I have many Bibles, but this one has been recovered with green leather. You get it recovered, it'll never uncover. And I've had this thing for years. I mean, this is the story of my life for 15 years. It's all in here. Don't steal it. But I've got pages. So I brought it with me because there's, there's a passage I'm going to read out of it tonight that's not in the book. But if you have your book, we're, we're on page 84. We're starting page 84. And uh, you'll see on page 84, it'll say, Antichrist personality. And then we're going to be going right into the very next chapter on the next page. So 84, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight that you gave us this book so that we would <clears throat> know some things. If we didn't need to know what's in this book, Lord, you wouldn't have given it to us. And so we pray that tonight as we look at what is going to come upon this world and is already taking shape in this world, that you will help us to be, Lord, a people in the light, that we will not be taken unawares, but we will be those who are watching and praying and walking in the Holy Spirit, that we would be those, Lord, who understand the times, and we thank you for it. Now, will you pray with me, church, and just say, Lord, renew my mind tonight. Whisper your word to my soul. See, I believe the word of God changes us. Just say, Lord, just I receive your word tonight in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to learn some things tonight. Amen. Now, again, the book of Revelation is a book of total prophecy, except for the first three chapters, and that's where he's addressing the seven churches. And that is uh, really for that day and time period, although those seven churches, I think, are reflective of churches throughout the uh, centuries that have gone past since then. But then after chapter 3, it launches into pure prophecy, futuristic prophecy. Now, we have to ask ourselves regularly, why did, why did God give us this? God gave it to us. I mean, here's John. He's an old man, 90-ish, older man. And he's in exile in chains on the Isle of Patmos. He's persecuted for the cause of Christ. He's utterly isolated. And Jesus appears to him and really just gives him this spectacular burst of prophecy that uh, reaches down through time to our day. It's amazing to me what we're going to see tonight. It's amazing how... Um, 21 centuries later, John's revelation is relevant for us. And he nails things that had to be God. There's no way he could have known it. So we have the book of Revelation because God felt we needed the book of Revelation. And then for those who say you can't understand it, why would he give us something we can't understand? Here you go. Though you'll never understand it, God bless uh-uh, that didn't happen. He gave it to us so we could understand it. So last time we closed with John's vision of a beast 
rising out of the sea. That beast is Antichrist. When you read beast in the Revelation, it's Antichrist. The, the beast or Antichrist is rising out of the sea in the 13th chapter of the Revelation. Revelation 13, 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, says John, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now that little phrase, rising up out of the sea, is simply a description of how the Antichrist will rise up out of the sea of humanity. He, 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 he steps onto the world stage seemingly overnight. It's a very sudden appearance. We saw that the seven heads, you know, you read these things, wow, seven heads, ten horns, what does that mean? The seven heads represent the seven mountains or the hills of Rome. And it's telling us that Antichrist is going to arise out of the sea of humanity out from a revived Roman Empire. The old Roman Empire that came and went after so many centuries will revive. And we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. It has already revived. And I'm going to show you how. So my personal belief, I could be wrong, but it seems to me, he will rise out of Europe. He'll rise out of a re revived Roman Empire. The ten horns are ten nations that will give their allegiance to the Antichrist as he seeks world dominion, as he comes into power, ten nations will say to him, hey, we're with you. We're with you, man. We're with you. We're all in. We're going to help you gain, seize control of the entire world. We're going to help you do it. We're behind you. Ten nations. That's the ten horns. Horns always represent authority in the Bible. Now, then John launches into a description of Antichrist's personality. And he's going to use animals to describe him. And, and you know what? That doesn't surprise me because he is animal-like. John describes the diabol diabolical personality traits of the Antichrist, Revelation 13, verse 2. Now, the beast which I saw was first like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his, and the dragon's the devil, always, the dragon gave him his power, catch this, his throne and great authority. So we could say the Antichrist has a totally satanic anointing. We talk about somebody being under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we talk a Christian, a preacher, a minister. Boy, they were really anointed. There was an anointing on them or an anointing on that service. Well, there is an anointing on this man, but it's not from heaven. The devil gives him his power, his throne, his authority. Now, the animals used to describe him are characterized by the following. Here they are. Leopard. What does that mean? He's going to move quickly. Do you know that a leopard can run 80 miles an hour in short bursts? Is that not amazing? God made that creature. He runs 80 miles an hour in short bursts. So, Describing him as a leopard means he, he will move quickly, stealth-like. Then he said, a bear. He will have feet like a bear. That means he will be strong. He will be powerful. His power won't last long, but while he has it, he will be strong. And then he says, the mouth 
of a lion. A lion roars and is kingly. So John predicts that his kingdom will be strong and powerful. He will take over quickly, seemingly overnight, and he will be stately, ruling by the roar of powerful oratory. The words of his mouth are going to be where this guy seizes the world stage. He's a talker. He is charismatic. Uh, he, he is, you know, I've listened to people before under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It says even of Jesus, when he first went to his hometown and went into the temple and preached his first sermon, it says every eye was fastened on him. You know why? Because he was under the anointing of God. And, and so you could not tear yourself away from him. This man will be under the anointing of Satan. And when he speaks, and he'll speak to the nations of the world via technology, you will not be able, unless you're saved and you have discernment, to take your eye away from him. <clears throat> the Antichrist at this time is going to be possessed by the devil like no other human being in the history of the world in a diabolical sense. He's not going to be like the Gadarene demoniac walking around cutting himself and, himself and running around in a graveyard, but he will be satanic to the core of his being. Halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years in, he will commit the abomination of desolation that we talked about earlier. He will walk into the rebuilt temple. He will walk into the Holy of Holies. He will declare himself to be God. The Antichrist is the abomination that makes desolate. Jesus said, beware of that and let him who reads understand what I'm talking about. So he'll commit the abomination of desolation. And folks, when he does, it's three and a half years in, it'll be like a trigger. And when he commits that abomination of de desolation, goes in the temple, says, I am God, you cannot worship any other God but me now, then literally the second half of the tribulation is set in motion, and it is totally hellacious. Now, it would appear that at this time, not to mention, and by the way, when I say hellacious, I mean persecution is released against Jews and Christians like you cannot believe. It, it'll be the ultimate persecution that has ever happened in the world. It would appear that at this time an assassination attempt is made on him, either on him or on one of the kings associated with him, one of the leaders of those ten nations. Because look what verse 3 says. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. And look what happened after the healing. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. So, at this midpoint, when he commits the abomination, uh, desolation, says, you've got to worship me now, somebody tries to take him or one of uh, uh, the, the, the heads of the nations following him, try to take them out. There is either a, I don't know if it's a bullet, I don't know if it's a knife, I don't know how they will try, but they will try. It'll be a wound in the head. And I, don't, I noticed something when I was studying this. I haven't heard anybody else teach this. You can chew the meat and spit out the bones. But I do find interesting, because I know the Holy Ghost doesn't waste words ever, 
and he gave us the scriptures. It says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery. It struck me that Satan, the ultimate deceiver, would love to lead the world into believing that the Antichrist, his boy, his ultimate leader, is resurrected just like Jesus was because Satan is a counterfeiter. He, he does nothing original. Anytime Satan does anything, he, he has to steal from what God has already done. So, so the word seemed, he, it seemed like he had been wounded mortally. And Satan would love for the world to believe, oh, you know, this guy, this leader, this incredible man who brokered a peace treaty with Israel, who has brought at least temporary peace to our world, look at that. He was, he was mortally wounded and he got up again just like But I believe the Bible may be suggesting here that it's a ruse. It only appears to be a literal resurrection. I don't know. I, I am putting that forth, and you can do with it what you like. It doesn't make me saved or lost either way. The result of this res resurrection, this so-called resurrection, whether it's real or not, the result of it, watch this, is is universal adulation. Verse 4, they worship the dragon. Stop there. Who's the dragon? What is end-time man doing? The, the, the Christ-rejecting, God-rejecting, godless world, what are they doing here when Antichrist is supposedly resurrected in front of their eyes? What are they doing? They're worshiping who? We got Satan worship going on here. Worldwide. And look what they're worshiping the devil for, for giving the, pe the beast such power. And they also worship the beast, the Antichrist. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaim. Who is able to fight against him? Do you see how he's being lifted up? He's being magnified. He is being put forth to the peoples of the world as the leader they all need to be looking to. Antichrist is now at the height of his diabolical career. He leverages his popularity to commit pure evil. And at the height of his wicked reign, it seems as if nothing will take him down as he rides a crest of unprecedented fame. Look at verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> and there was given unto him a mouth. There's that mouth of a lion speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given to him to continue 42 months. That's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy. Look what this guy does. Blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That would be the temple. And them that dwell in heaven, that would be the angels. And I believe that would be Christ. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. That would be you. And to overcome them. And the power was given him over, look at this, everybody. It's universal. All kindreds all tongues, all nations, and all that dwell upon the earth. How many that dwell? All that dwell will do what? Worship him. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So, so who's going to be doing all this? Those who have rejected Christ. Their names are not written in the book of life. And, I, and this is why I brought my Bible. I want to read to you something now. 
2 Thessalonians. This is not in your book, and I'm going to put it in the reprint. But I want to read to you what Paul wrote about this, because here we've got the whole world worshiping this man. And look what Paul wrote. He says, the mystery of lawlessness, I'm in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 8. And then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. When Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation, when he returns, he will speak and it will incinerate Antichrist. That's what it says. I'm just reading it to you. So, and then it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. We just read that. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now catch that. Those who are perishing are, are drawn by unrighteous deception. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. When God comes knocking, it's so dangerous to turn him away. Now look at verse 11. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe. I've always thought this interesting. That they should believe the lie. Not a lie, as in one among many, but the ultimate lie. No doubt in my mind he's talking about the Antichrist. The strong delusion is the Antichrist. He will deceive and delude the whole world. That's the Antichrist. God will send strong delusion that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, I'll tell you, like I said a moment ago, when he knocks, it is such a serious thing. Um to turn away the grace of God. I, I did a little blog this week on, um, you know, I, I always knew it was dangerous to reject God. I knew there was a hefty price tag for doing it. But I'm watching our nation and how our nation has rejected God. And we're no longer just, um, uh, oh, I don't know, um, not interested in Christianity. We're anti, the, the, the nation is anti-Christian now. And getting that way more and more. But see, there's such a price to pay. Oh, there's such a price. Look at this price. We're reading it. Look at this price. They that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. He's the strong delusion whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, writes John, let him hear. I looked up strong delusion in the original language from the Greek word. It means an error or deception which results in wandering from truth and straying into sinful behavior. The delusion pulls you away from God. The Holy Ghost draws you to God. But the strong delusion pulls you away from Him and you stray. And as you stray, you fall into sin. As Antichrist rides this wave of adulation, John warns that anybody trying to stop his reign of terror will be imprisoned or slain. Now it's getting real. The rubber is meeting the road. Verse 10, chapter 13. 
Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. The Antichrist will not conquer without the help of a second beast. Now here we're going to get his own little John the Baptist. We're about to meet him. He's a diabolical religious leader we're about to meet next, and that's in chapter 8 in your book. And um, we're, we're still, I believe, in chapter 13, starting at verse 11. And so now John sees a second beast. One's enough, but here's a second one. Verse 11, then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a what? So he looks harmless, but he's really demonic. This second beast has horns like a lamb, suggesting that he appears gentle and innocent, but he speaks under Satan's power with the voice of a dragon. So we got two men here who are satanically anointed, who as a sort of evil dynamic duo bring strong delusion to the entire planet. I like to just say this is describing Antichrist John the Baptist. He's obviously a religious leader. The, the Antichrist will be a political leader. He will rise in the political sphere. But his, his buddy here, his, his John the Baptist, his, his, the second beast will be a religious leader. And his job is to point the world to the Antichrist. There's your, what did John the Baptist do? He said, behold the Lamb of God. Look, look there. I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to, to, to unstrap his sandals. But, but there's the Lamb of God. What did John do? He pointed to the Messiah. What will this guy do? He'll say, there's your answer. There's your answer. Him. He'll be on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSLSD. I'm sorry, MSNBC. <laughs> I can't resist that. I'm sorry. Um, anyway. He'll be on all the networks. See, we got to remember, this is a technological age where, you, where anybody, anywhere in the world can watch anything real time. He'll point to the Antichrist. Look at verses 12 through 13. He, that is the second beast, exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth and its people to do what? Worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles. This is the second beast. He's a miracle worker. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone, and that means everyone, in real time are watching. Now, that sounds like a prophet in the Old Testament, right? Who? Elijah. He called fire down from heaven. Now, did you know that for 2,500 years, the Jews have longed for the coming of Elijah? Because of what Malachi said in the end of his prophecy. Malachi said in the, end, the last book of our Old Testament, uh, Malachi 4 verse 5 says, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. So because of that prophecy, for the last 2,500 years, Jewish families, when they're observing the Passover meal, have left a door or window open for Elijah to enter and join them in their anticipation of Messiah. 
Hence, the second beast is going to be the ultimate imposter. Uh, he's going to be under the same kind of wicked satanic anointing as Antichrist. Now, look at verse 14. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. So here we've got this second beast. He is the one who commands the world after calling fire down from heaven. You've got to get this now. We're going to be in a supernatural time in this uh, tribulation period because we're going to have an individual who's going to look up and he's going to call fire down from heaven in the sight of the whole world. And then he's going to say, I did that on behalf of him. Antichrist. And so I want, I want to build an image to him. And I want you to worship him. I command you, this is not optional, to worship him. And the second beast takes it a step further, verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to this statue. Wow. So that it could speak. So this thing becomes animated. This statue becomes animated. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Did you get this? The statue is talking. Did you get it? Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Now, I think here we need to dig into the language a little bit because I, I don't want us to have the impression that it's necessarily a statue, like we would have a statue up here of whatever, and suddenly it begins to, to talk, a, a statue of stone. The Greek word for statue is icon, and we get, of course, icon from that Greek word, and it can mean several things. It can mean image. It can mean likeness. It can mean bust, you know, like the bust of somebody's head. It refers to, literally, a mirror-like representation. So it doesn't have to be a statue of stone, but it's a likeness. It's a likeness of this antichrist. Now, for centuries, Bible students were perplexed about this. How could that be? How can a stone thing talk? What is John talking about? But now we live in the age of animation. Statues or likenesses of someone can easily be made to talk. You've been to Disney World, Disneyland? I, I have a pastor friend, and I've shared this a few weeks ago, but I, I've got a pastor friend that uses a, a um, hologram projector. He had the money to put into it. We don't, and I don't know that I would want one because it's weird. He said, let me show you something, and he pulled down all these black curtains and I'm standing off out here, and, and this was during the day. Nobody was in the uh, sanctuary. And he cut the lights, and he had the, you know, an area up here uh, just surrounded in black curtains like this where you couldn't see anything behind me. And all of a sudden, he dropped down, and he's there talking. If I'd walked in, I would have thought it was him. I would have said, hey, but it wasn't him. It was three-dimensional 
The only way I could have known that it wasn't real is if I went and put my hand through him. So what you've got is an image talking. Okay? So if pastors can do it, (laughs) you know, and, and of course, pastors borrowed it from Disney and places like that that I think probably trailblazed it, but it's really virtually impossible from a distance to tell. He said, when they're there on Saturday nights, uh, I'm off with my wife eating in a restaurant, and they think that I'm standing there talking to them. <laughs> my sister walked into one of those like that, and she said, I'm never going back. It was weird, Jeff. It was weird. <laughs> but anyway, two-way television systems are now in place where the entire world could see a a lifelike image on their own computer screens and be commanded to worship it. George Orwell talked about this in 1984, the book. Not only would you see him, that is, the image of Antichrist, uh, but he, according to Orwell, and Orwell was just really reflecting or echoing what John had already predicted. So we talk about something being Orwellian, it's really way further back, and it's Johnnyan. okay? Um, but, but not only can you see the image, but, but he can see you. And I know this is also a reality. Many people I know have put tape over the camera lens on their computer after confirmed reports came out that their computers could be hacked and their movements monitored. So you might be getting watched, and you don't know because they can be hacked. See, it's all there. What John saw, how could he see the whole world watching something in real time unless God and only God who can see the future told him? The second beast could quite possibly place this type of animated statue of the Antichrist in the Holy of Holies, commanding the world to worship him or suffer the death penalty. That's the abomination of desolation. That is the abomination that will make desolate. That will be the trigger that sets the second half of the tribulation in motion. And I mean the war of Armageddon and the whole bit. Now, at this point in the tribulation, Antichrist doubles down. He goes for what he's always wanted. The world is totally brought under his demonic domination. Worship Antichrist or die. Can you believe that? Now, if you had told me 20 years ago that America could experience something like that, I would say, not America. I don't say that now. Because I'm watching Americans worship various people all the time. And And I'm watching the slow, encroaching hand of socialism creep across our country tonight. This awful scene harkens back to Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and the giant statue he had made of himself? This is so similar. The whole kingdom of Babylon in Daniel's time, when they were in Babylon in the 70-year captivity, was ordered to fall down and worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar or be executed. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way. They were thrown in the burning, fiery furnace. And you know the rest of the story. But that's a type 
of what will happen. That the whole nation was ordered to worship this statue. It's the same idea. And it'll happen in the tribulation period. Now, next, this diabolical beast duo bring the stakes even higher by forcing upon the world the infamous mark of the beast. Let's read about it in 16 through 17. He, now I believe that's the second beast, the, the, the false prophet, required everyone. How many? Everyone. everyone in the Greek means everyone. Small and great, rich or poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And look what the pressure is. You, no one can buy, no one can sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Now, it's interesting to me that in the Great Tribulation, you have two sets of numbers that are being put on people's persons. The 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of the Jewish uh, people have put on their forehead by an angel a mark that the angel is to see and not bring wrath upon them when he sees it. There are 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams traveling the planet during the tribulation who have a mark on their forehead. Whether visible to the human eye or not, it's there. The Bible says so. But now the flip side is here's the devil once again counterfeiting, and he wants to mark the whole world with this mark of the beast. I believe the forehead is relevant because the forehead is in front of the brain. The brain is your thought life. It's, it's where you live. The, the, it's, it's, the, it's the arena that we battle in, the, the, the battlefield of the mind. And I think the mark being on the forehead is representative of the fact that in your thoughts you have been captured by this man or not if you refuse the mark. You've got to take the devil's mark if you want to buy or sell. And this technology is in place right now to do this. I mean, we all know this. It only awaits the right timing. I was at the store last night. I had a credit card, and, and I, I have no credit card debt. I, I take care of it month by month. I will not go into credit card debt as a trap, but that's another message. But, but now there's a chip on these things. And, and so I'm sitting there trying to slide, trying to swipe my credit card. I said, this thing's not working. She says, you got to put the chip in. And I went, Boo. <laughs> I went, You know, I said, chip? And she said, yeah, right there on your card. You put it in there and just leave it and it will read it. And so a recent article I pulled was headlined, Fingers likely to replace ID cards in the United States. The article reads, quote, Beginning in March, students of the University of California, Irvine, were no longer required to show their ID cards to gain access to the Anteater Recreation Center. What a name. Instead, they only had to place their hands in a scanner and type in their personal identification numbers. Campus officials said that the hand geometry system had been available for less than two months when almost 9,000 students had signed up to use it already. No one thinking of, of the revelation. With it, people no longer have to worry whether they have carried their ID or not. 
Their fingers are their IDs. Now, this is all leading up to what John saw. And remember, John's a first century former fisherman who's 90 years old, and he's foreseeing this high-level technology 21 centuries down the road. This is only one example of the inexorable march toward the use of either a tiny implanted chip or an invisible to the eye laser imprint on either the hand or the forehead. One day, instead of saying, put the card in with the chip on it, it'll just say, move your hand across the reader or lean in. Now, various things are going to drive this technology, and I'll guarantee you identity theft is going to be at the top. Do you realize identity theft is pandemic today? I mean, it's everywhere. I've dealt with it. Somebody tried to steal my identity and raise money on my name. Seriously, for a mission in Africa. I got calls from people all over the place. Hey, I didn't know you were heading up a mission in Africa, and I said, I didn't either. (laughs) Well, you mean this isn't you? No. Well, they're talking to me, calling themselves Pastor Jeff. Did you send them any money? One of them said, it just went Western Union. I said, stop it, because thousands of dollars were headed to this person who stole my name, used my name. So if you see me doing a mission in Africa, I've already got one. (laughs) Call me before you send any money. Now, There's little question that this mark of the beast prophecy will be implemented by technology that exists today. The biochip implant, syringe implantable microchip or lithium transponder, or an invisible tattoo designed to go in the right hand or the forehead. It's all there, folks. It's all there waiting for somebody to seize it and use it for what the Bible predicts Antichrist will do. There's a cashless society coming, and that's part of it. The mark of the beast, John foresaw, will usher in a worldwide cashless society. Now, listen carefully to me tonight, because, boy, is this relevant. All financial transactions will be computer-generated. You'll simply go to the supermarket, gather your groceries, and at the checkout counter, a scanner will be swept across your hand or your forehead. You know that woman, she comes out with that little gun and scans the, the stuff? Then she'll just scan your forehead. Or your hand. And then it will do this. It will go to the bank. It will withdraw the money from your account. You'll receive a receipt showing how much was removed and what you have left. Without this mark, you'll not be able to buy or sell. That's right here. It's there. The move to a cashless society is gaining momentum as I speak. In the USA... Approximately 85% of all transactions are already cashless, and cash represents about 1% to 4% of bank deposits. (laughs) Think of that. Smart cards and biochip pet implants are now in wide use in Europe and America. If you go to to adopt a pet out of a shelter now, they're they're likely going to require you to buy a chip implant that goes into the pet, and you should get your pet one every time. If they're good enough to purchase, they're good enough to have a chip. But now they've got one where it's a tracker. You put it on your pet, and if your pet gets lost, you can call it up on computer and see where he's wandering. Oh, there he is over on Mimosa Lane. 
Go get him. And they track him that way. We read about that this week. I know what some of you are thinking, huh, my spouse, let's see. Or my teenagers, I'll track them. You're aware, dear? Patrick Henningsen of Global Research Company writes, right now we're on the cusp of the U.S. dollar collapse and perhaps a euro implosion on the back end of it and risk of hyperinflation are very real here. Folks, you can't be in $20 trillion of debt and not have it eventually come back to bite you. Come on, we're living in realville, right? Bill Gates of Microsoft fame is now promoting digital currency instead of cash in third world countries, which will make the poor even more dependent on central banks while also turning them into guinea pigs for the development of a cashless society in the U.S. and Europe. Gates outlined his plan for a cashless society in a recently published letter in which he proposed the poor have better access to mobile phones so they can store their financial assets digitally instead of keeping hard currency. Yeah, they're poor, but they've got an iPhone. And the New York Times reports that banks and retailers are trying to develop new payment systems using cell phones, and they're working out ways to protect customers' personal information Quote from the Times, if we move to a truly cashless society, it won't be much of an adjustment for most Americans. Finally, Damon Darlin, again of the New York Times, I pulled from the Times because they're so secular and so liberal. So you would know, well, he's just pulling from from religious nuts. No, I'm pulling from liberal nuts. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, you know. A little levity here. We're talking about the end of the world. But Darlin writes this in the Times. If I were to make a bet, I'd say that 10 years from now, the most popular answer from young shoppers about how they will make small payments would be thumbprint. And you'll get a dull shrug when you ask what a wallet is. I think Darlin's wrong. I think five years. Now, that's my guess. A cashless society would be the IRS's dream, for it would give them knowledge and control over the finances of every American, but a worldwide cashless society would give control of the whole world's finances and personal information to none other than Antichrist. Now, let's talk about 666, and then we'll close for tonight. I don't want to overdose you. But John predicts that the mark of the beast is going to be a number. He says wisdom is needed here, verse 18. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, again, for centuries, Bible students didn't understand this, what this meant, because there was no computers. But then computers came along. Now we know that the entire world could be marked by three sets of six digits each. Much like a city of millions can all receive a phone number out of just ten digits, one through zero. An entire city of millions can be marked with ten numbers. But you have three sets of six digits, six, six, six. Prophecy expert Grant Jeffrey writes, quote, an enormous and sophisticated computer system in Europe 
will provide the initial consolidated financial integration of the economic systems of the advanced nations. Already, an 18-digit number has been assigned to virtually every citizen of the Western world. You're marked in ways you don't know. Your number includes your year of birth, your sex, your current social insurance number, and a code identifying the street you live on. While none of this is the mark of the B system, it shows how close we are to the day when the diabolical Antichrist will seize the reins of power, utilize current technology, and initiate his wicked plan of world control. Now, I want to close with what I thought was just a profound find. Um, using the amplified meanings of the original Greek. How many of you ever read an amplified Bible? Okay. I love the amplified Bible. Um, of course, it, it, it takes certain Bible words and gives you several options and expands on what they mean. It's, it's, a, it's more exhaustive in its explanation. Well, there was a man who, who did like an amplified Bible, but he did it in Greek, sort of a Greek amplified translation. Michael E. O'Brien of highpraise.com, if you want to look him up, created an expanded translation given of Revelation 13, the chapter we're on tonight. Interestingly, it indicates a biochip implant containing a number like a social security number that could fulfill the prophecy very precisely. Now, I'm going to read to you. Now, all he's doing is going to the Greek word, and he's taking that word, he's exegeting it, he, he's inter, he, he is uh, uh, giving us the definition of the word, and then he's expanding on it. That's all. It's an amplified translation from Greek instead of English. And here's what he translated, just three verses, 16 to 18. Quote, he, the second beast, caused everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive an etching of servitude made with a sharp point. Can you believe that? Made with a sharp point in their right hand or in their foreheads so that no one could buy or sell unless they had the etching of servitude or the authority of the beast or the number of his authority. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the pebbles, an old way of counting, count the pebbles as the number of the beast, for it is an individual's identification number. His number is incised with a pricking action, willingly by one claiming to possess the Godhead. That's directly out of the Greek language. Say amen or oh me. John warns us in no uncertain terms the mark of the beast must not be received. Let's stand and we're going to read chapter 14, 9 through 10. We're going to close for tonight. And you're going to go home and pray and make sure you're saved. <laughs> right? Isn't the Word of God amazing? I tell you, isn't the Word of God amazing? All right. Let's read 14, 9 through 10. Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or likeness or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur 
in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. And Jesus told John that. These warnings are likely directed to the tribulation saints, tribulation Christians. They must refuse the mark and trust God to provide for their needs. Amen? Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus who gave this incredible prophecy. Next week, we're going to look at six angels and seven vials of wrath, and we're going to talk more about this Antichrist system. It's going to be such an eye-opener. Father, we just thank you right now. We know we live in perilous times, Lord. We know that there are things going on that we are not aware of, but we know they're happening, that if we did know about them, Lord, we would be fasting and praying and we would be seeking your face. But, Lord, we thank you tonight that the God who gave this revelation clearly has the whole world in his hands. So, Lord, we pray that as a church, in light of these terrible warnings and this, this scene laid out before us of what unbelievers are going to experience and the great delusion that's coming upon the world, that you will help our church to be a divine net and we, to, to bring in multitudes of souls into the kingdom of God that thousands would be saved, not only through Turning Point, but every gospel-preaching church in this nation and in the world. Lord, give us a great end-time harvest. Let's pray this, church. Let's give, give us, Lord, a great end-time harvest. Give us an incredible end-time harvest, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we are not in the dark, but we are in the light. In Jesus' name.